Last year, we there was a particular feature we were working on for quite a while. It was reaching the end of the calendar year and everyone was about to go on vacation. And the feature looked pretty ready from my perspective. I think there was some nerves on engineering to get it released. But my fear was that we would come back from the holidays and we would have to take a bunch of time gaining context on it. And so I sat with engineering right before we all went on the holidays and we made a decision to get this feature released. And what ended up happening was we had a little bit of an incident around it. My name is Nora Jones and I'm the founder and CEO of Jelly.io. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart, and today how Nora Jones took a side project to the next level to help you understand your organization through incidents. All this and more on Code Story. Nora Jones has been in tech her entire career. She originally thought she was going to get into hardware, but was always focused on reliability and safety. She has quite the track record in regards to companies she has worked for. Jet.com, Netflix, and Slack. She lives in Denver and likes to get outside and do dangerous activities, post-studying the risk, of course. She loves to ski and really digs Telluride and Steamboat when she can make the drive. Through her time at other companies, Nora realized that the industry spends little time looking back on their past mistakes. She figured out that there was a solid market for people wanting to understand their incidents better and started building something on the side, which eventually became her focus. This is the creation story of Jelly.io. Jelly.io is an incident management platform. Um, We really dive deep on the incident analysis portion of the platform, which I'll dig into in a sec. I was at a startup for a little bit, and then I went and worked at Netflix, and then I went and worked at Slack. And each place I was getting hired to do site reliability engineering, but also really focusing on incidents and incident analysis. And what I've learned about the tech industry through the many companies I've worked at and worked with and the network I have and the conferences I've helped put together, it's just we don't spend a lot of time as an industry looking back on our past mistakes. We don't spend a lot of time understanding the things that went wrong um, in our individual companies as well. We're moving so fast, we're getting a lot of things done, but we end up like creating a multitude of problems just by not understanding the problems that we've already had. You know, we end up hiring more than we need to, which kind of like, I mean, like we're seeing right now is leading to layoffs down the line. We frequently can miss our deadlines as an industry. There's a lot of stuff that can happen because of not looking at previous incidents and previous things that have already happened. So Jelly's platform really focuses on helping companies understand the incidents that they've already had. But we also have a coordination tool as well, so it helps you in the moment. So if you want to spin up an incident, if you want to grab your colleagues in, if you want to spin up a Zoom channel or a Slack channel um, and just really get everyone coordinating, we do that as well. And then, like I mentioned, on the analysis piece, we help you understand and get data and insights from your incidents afterwards. The more you know, incidents you put into our platform, the more patterns we can tell you about how your org is functioning. 
our biggest difference as a tool than a lot of tools just in general in the industry and site reliability engineering is that we really focus on people and coordination. Like what was hard about this incident coordination wise? Did we have the right people in the room? Did we have the right service owners? Did we have the right on-call schedules? Were people being paged in the middle of the night? Surfacing things like that to orgs can be really hard to look at on your own, but can be really helpful uh, if they're being bubbled up to you. So that's sort of the the gist of Jelly.io. Tell me about the MVP. So that first product you built, how long did it take you to build? And what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? I started working on the MVP actually while I was an employee at Netflix. I was looking at patterns behind incidents and I wanted something to understand on-call rotations and handoffs a little bit better. That's not what we do as a company at all anymore in Jelly, but that was like the first thing I really started noodling on. And then I went and worked at Slack and I was still kind of noodling on my idea on the side. But while I was there, I realized there was kind of a big market for understanding your incidents better. People just didn't fully know how. They didn't know which metrics to look for. They didn't know which areas to dig into and they were strapped for time. So I ended up leaving Slack actually after about six months because I was just really itching to go formalize this MVP. I started Jelly officially in August uh, 2019 and hired a couple folks, uh, hired a designer, a researcher, and an engineer. And the four of us kind of worked for a while on figuring out what the first iteration of this software looked like. Basically, came up with this tool that hooked into Slack and it hooked into PagerDuty and it hooked into Workday. It was akin to reading a book in school and taking a highlighter and writing on the margins of what people were talking about, which is not something we do after incident channels happen, but it is really helpful as an industry to understand and highlight the things where people were like, wow, I didn't know it worked that way, or hey, sorry, it's my first time on call, or where they're sharing a particular graph and saving those moments and putting them into a broader picture. That was like our grand idea, but we first started with that that annotation tool. And we got three customers right off the onset. And then the tool and product has evolved so much more since then. We have a few flagship products. We have one called Narrative Builder. So Narrative Builder allows you to build your post-incident review, but as sort of a story, the focus is on telling the story. And um, we focus on four main sections, repair, detection, diagnosis, and any key moments. And so you're still actually having that transcript I talked about. You still have the ability to tag and annotate stuff, but this kind of takes the approach like the person is doing this is busy and might not have time to go deep, but they still want to use evidence. And so we can still hook things that were being said onto different portions of the incident. And then we have our incident response product, which helps people in the moment, helps them coordinate. And then we have a few really cool products coming out, one of them um, being Learning Center, which allows you to see metrics and patterns across your incidents as well, based on the stories that are being told. That initial MVP was really kind of focused on the data that you can get more out of how we speak to each other. You kind of alluded to a few of these in your in your description of the MVP, but with any MVP, you've got to make certain decisions and trade-offs, right? Around technical debt, approach, feature, cut, all the things, right? When you're building that first product. Tell me about some of those in a little more detail and how you coped with those decisions. 
it wasn't easy. And I've spent my whole career as an SRE. So my, I've literally been trained my whole career to think about how things could break and think about how things could scale and think about issues you might run into over time. But that is not what you should be thinking of when you're getting your first product out the door. So I had to really flip my thinking there, like we need to validate this. I think we actually made a few iterations of our MVP before we had someone using it. I also connected with a few folks in the learning from incidents community to see if any of them might be willing to be like a design partner or, um, or a build partner. And we got some interest there. And so that was also kind of a forcing function to get what we are working on out the door. Otherwise, I think folks could work on it. Their, their MVPs forever. So then from that point, right, you've got your MVP. How did you progress the product and mature it? I think to wrap that in a box a little bit, what I'm looking for is how did you go about building your roadmap and deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing to build or to address with Jelly.io? I mean, I think a lot of that is, well, one the folks working on the team had kind of experienced this from the onset. And so we had an initial vision of what we wanted to build that kind of got us through at least a year and a half. And we still have bits and pieces that we're actually looking to formalize even from that day one um, roadmap. That roadmap can kind of carry us out over time, but there's obviously little nuances and bits and pieces that come up. And some of it, like you really have to lean on where you're at as a company and, and what you need to produce. There's like the usage component and getting users in the tool and having them have a good experience. But there's also the sales component. What are you able to sell right now? What is What are people asking for? What helps the build cycle? A lot of those things are, are three different factors we were keeping in mind. And also in terms of like, you know, did we want to raise money? Did we want to make sure that we were making sales that allowed us to put off raising money until we were ready? And so really taking a bunch of those factors into consideration really helped us with the roadmap because it helped us understand how fast we needed to move and how quick of iterations we needed to put out. But I will say like, you can sit pre-launch forever. You know, your your product is never going to be fully ready, but you you need to get it out there because timing is also really important, regardless of if it feels done to you or not. Let's switch to team then. So how did you go about building your team? And I think I'm curious about what you look for in those people to indicate that they're the winning horses to join you. The initial team was myself, a designer, a researcher, and an SRE and a front-end engineer. And it was kind of a, a motley startup crew. Like you usually don't have a designer and a researcher from day one, but I wanted to make sure we were building a really solid foundation from day one, which also meant those are the types of folks that, that want to formalize things and want to create a solid foundation, but that bumps up against timing as well. And so I think we also spent a lot of time understanding how the five of us worked together and how we could set that foundation for years to come within the company and really set the tone about how these different groups in the company work together. We're about 25 people now, and I think that's just stayed pervasive throughout our culture. Like it is very highly collaborative. New people amongst joining like don't realize that they will have support from sales. They'll have support from marketing. They'll have support from engineering. It's not just a stay in your lane kind of role. It's like a very highly collaborative company. 
How have you maintained team culture? It's always interesting to hear how people approach this. How have you maintained team culture throughout the lifetime of, of Jelly.io? Actually, I don't know if I would use the word maintain. I think there is a thread that can be always present, but I think the culture changes with each new person that joins. In the early days when there was just six of us, I actually had everyone reflect on the team that they felt like the, they did the best work in their career and reflect on the team where they were the happiest. And sometimes people had the same team and sometimes people had two different teams. And so we talked about, I had everyone individually write down like how they felt on that team, what attitudes were present on that team, what behaviors were present on that team. And then everyone shared them with the rest of the org. And granted, you know, we were quite small at this point, but now with every new hire, I do an onboarding where I show them the results of this activity. And then I ask them to reflect on it with me live. And so it's just this kind of growing culture where we're trying to take in all the, the best parts of companies that we've worked in in the past, or even like cultures we want to be in. And I, I feel like a big part of that is culture is not happening to folks at this company. Like they're an active part of creating it, providing a an area where I can get feedback and they can feel comfortable giving management feedback. But along with that comes a lot of passion. Um, everyone in our org is passionate about this product existing in the industry, passionate about the industry taking a little bit more time to learn from incidents and making it easier for them to do so. You know, a bunch of us have been in the roles that we would be the champions in our last organization. And so we're really building the tool that we had always wished we had that just kind of stays uh, very foundational within, within Jelly. Okay, let's switch to scalability then. So did you build this to scale efficiently from day one, or are you fighting this as you grow and gain traction? Finding it as we, we grow and gain traction, I think, um, you know, like I was mentioning a little bit earlier, there were a few of us that were SREs, and so we're we're ingrained to make things like a little bit scalable from day one. I think in in ways that wouldn't be present in other cultures, but we fought back against that a little bit. You know, it was like, hey, do we really need to engineer a week for this upper limit right now? Like, I thought as the CEO, I was like, if we hit this upper limit, it means that people are actually using the product. It means that people are excited about it. It means that people want to get value out of it. And we'll figure some of that out. I think, you know, some of the foundational stuff that you need to build from the beginning, but you really have to think about the timing of your company, the resources you have, all of that needs to come into play when you are outputting your product. You know, if you're thinking about building a house, like there's certain things that are foundational, like you need a solid floor, you need a solid roof, you need solid windows. But if it's something like the paint on the wall or the wallpaper or something, that is stuff that can be easily replaced without tearing down the whole house and starting over. And so I really think, you know, folks need to like take a step back, peel back a layer and really think about what is foundational and necessary versus what can wait until we actually have validated that this is a thing that people want. Nora, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? I'm really proud of what we've built right now in Jelly. I, I've, I'm really excited about our newest product, Learning Center. Um, it is really focused on helping folks learn across their incidents. I've been in several orgs in the past where, you know, I needed to advocate for headcount for a team or I needed to advocate more time on a particular service. 
And part of what took me so long was helping rope other people into that conversation, helping rope other people into understanding that that was a key need amongst all the other needs that the business had at that time. And really what Learning Center does is it helps someone that was like in my position, gather the data to champion for the thing that they're feeling. Like if they need a more of a follow the sun model, if they need to build versus buy a service or buy versus build a service, things like that, you should have data on to help you tell your story. That's what I'm most excited about. And it's really just the beginning of that product too. Okay, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. Last year, we there was a particular feature we were working on for quite a while. It was reaching the end of the calendar year and everyone was about to go on vacation. And the feature looked pretty ready from my perspective. I think there was some nerves on engineering to get it released. But my fear was that we would come back from the holidays and we would have to take a bunch of time gaining context on it. And so I sat with engineering right before we all went on the holidays and we made a decision to get this feature released. And what ended up happening was we had a little bit of an incident around it. And we had a bunch of different groups throughout the company involved. Like it literally touched everyone. It touched me, it touched sales, it touched Um, operations, it touched engineering. And so given there was a lot of debate about releasing this feature prior to the incident, like it it led to a spirited incident review, which which is what we want. It was spirited in a good way. Like we really practice what we preach as a company in terms of incidents. Like incidents are a normal part of work. We're all carrying context in our head on why a thing makes sense to us to do at a particular time. And then in hindsight, it might not have made as much sense anymore. And so we create the safe space to talk about that and to capture all those perspectives. I think that was a really good learning experience for us. And it's one that like we talk about a lot and we've written about and just really spoke openly about. And I think that is good. I think it helps us evolve as a company, but I think that is part of the the journey. I, I got some advice before I started Actually, it was like after year one in Jelly, we had had a solid number of customers. We had hit a good revenue. And one of my friends who had founded a successful company said to me, he goes, you're entering a period where you're about to make a lot of mistakes and the worst mistakes are the slow ones. So I think about that all the time. Like, you know, your your time is so valuable and such a great resource. So like you really have to think about it a lot and make sure that you're comfortable making mistakes. You're comfortable giving your team the freedom to make those mistakes, but you're also allowing yourself to kind of fail and understand fast so that you can apply it going forward. Okay, Nora, this will be fun. Tell me what the future looks like for the product and for your team at Jelly.io. I want Jelly.io to be a place, a home for your incidents at your company, a place where you can go to coordinate about them. You can go to collaborate about them. You can go to talk about them. You can go to understand them. You can go to relate them to JIRA tickets or projects you might have coming up or um, pool requests you might have coming up. It is like a platform that allows you to see everything at a level that not just the SRE can understand, but that their colleagues can understand, that someone from marketing can understand. I think the industry after incidents is too disproportionately focused on SRE. 
Ticketmaster even had a, a giant incident a week ago with Taylor Swift fans trying to come to the site and they could not handle the load, right? A lot of that was focused on the load, but a lot of it, I didn't see a lot of focus on all the different contributing factors that come into play. And I think it's sometimes hard for other teams and companies outside of SRE to understand fully what they do outside of incidents and outside of preparing for scale. There's so much more to be said there. And so I think a lot of like what I would like to see Jelly.io used for over time is helping SREs tell their stories to other folks in the organization, but also other folks sharing the context with SREs that they're dealing with too. And so I really think it's a place like kind of for relationship building, but through the lens of incidents. Okay, Nora, let's switch to you. Who influences the way that you work? You know, name a person or many persons or something you look up to and why? I look up to folks on my team, honestly. Like I've, I've really tried to hire folks that are experts in their field and have expertise in the particular domain they're bringing in. Like Dan Stondon on my team and Laura McGuire, like they are both folks that I look up to that have this really unique perspective on both design and cognitive systems research that I look up to all the time. I really look up to founders that have been successful prior to me. I think that's been really important. You know, I'm friends with a founder that took three years to launch their product and just being able to see and understand all the lessons from them so that we didn't do that thing was was hugely helpful. I look up to folks in the human factors and system safety space. The late Dr. Richard Cook, he was really foundational in understanding complex systems and the patient safety movement. And I want to bring a lot of that to software. Too many people to name, but um, I really try to participate in my networks and learn from people at, at every opportunity I can. Okay, we talked about a mistake earlier, but this is a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different or where would you consider taking a different approach? I think in the early, early days, I was very focused on making the right product. I would have been less focused on that. I would have been more focused kind of on getting stuff out there. And I think I've really learned to change that focus over time. But that focus is kind of a roller coaster as you get more customers and as you get more people relying on your platform every day. It is important for it to be a little bit more correct, a little bit more right, um, a little bit more useful. But I think my focus in the early days, it was intentionally focused on making something really different and really meaningful. I wanted to take others on that journey a little bit more. And I think I would have enrolled more folks at the beginning of that process, like outside of Jolly. Well, last question, Nora. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can we show it off to you right there on the plane? What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? I mean, there's so many different pieces of advice. Like I, I love how you're framing it as how excited they are about their idea and about your, their adventure. Like my startup is my life's work. It is the thing I think about all the time and I really enjoy it. I really enjoy thinking about incidents. I really enjoy thinking about safety and how it can like make things better. 
I think, you know, with your startup, like you are married to it, you're thinking about it all the time. And so to make sure it is something that you see yourself excited about for a long time to come, to make sure that that is the focus that you want to take, the route you want to take, and that, you know, you are finding a solution to a problem rather than trying to find a problem to fit your solution. So I think those those are the two pieces of advice I, I would I would give to make sure that, you know, that you're understanding what makes you happy and understanding what excites you about this from like a deep person, personal ambition perspective too. That's fantastic advice. Well, Nora, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Jelly.io. Thank you so much, Noah. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Labhart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.